All right. I think I am live. I'm going to do a start, a slow start here because I want to make sure that uh, that this puppy's working. I am in Sweden right now. I don't like to brag, but I'm in my hotel room and we've set up Google Hangouts. I did some crazy lighting things that I don't know if they're legal in this country, but I did everything I could to do with lights and I moved the curtains and I shifted chairs and I actually have my computer on top of an upside down ice bucket. Uh, and I'm going to share all my election thoughts. I'm going to make some predictions because you know that being in the prediction business is always a good thing to do, especially the day before the election. Uh, I want to share some thoughts on all the stuff that's going on back in the States and uh, give you guys a little bit of insider info on this tour that I'm on with Jordan Peterson, uh, which has just been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, so I'll really get going in about two minutes or so. I just want to do a little slow start here because I know when we send out these live streams, sometimes it takes a little time to get to the feed and all that. So yeah, so anyway, so I am in... Sweden right now, uh, we have a show tonight. It is now, it is 5 p.m. in Sweden on November 5th right now. Our show is at seven o'clock tonight. So I'm gonna do about an hour, a little bit more than that right now with you guys. I'm gonna do a Q&A. So right now, actually, we've been taking questions all day long or all morning long, depending on where you are. Uh, but if you go to patreon.com slash Ruben, you can submit a question. And my guys back in America, uh, are taking the questions and then they're sending them to me on my trusty phone here. We have a Google Doc and uh, Google, man, is there anything they don't do from spying on you to not letting your videos go out to your subscribers? Plus Google Docs and allowing us to do this. Um, okay, so yeah, it's five o'clock here in Sweden. Our, our show tonight is seven o'clock. I usually get there about a half hour early. I'm only about 10 minutes away from the, uh, the hotel. Uh, this tour, real quick, let me just do a little bit on that. Um, it's been absolutely amazing. As of, I think, the show last night, um, and last night we were in Helsinki, Finland, which I really think might have been the best show we've done. I mean, we've we've really been on a nice track with these things. Jordan and I are having a really nice groove at the moment, and I know when to poke fun at him and have some fun in the Q&A, and some nights he does some real fire and brimstone stuff. And some nights it's a little looser. Some nights he talks about all 12 rules. Some nights he does the whole show on one rule. Some nights I'm a little sillier. Uh, suffice to say that last night was the first night that we actually slow danced on stage together. That's how the show ended. So if you haven't been to one of these shows, they're pretty much all sold out. Um, but if you haven't been and there's any tickets in any of the remaining cities, I, I hope to see you guys there. I'm super excited to be there, to be here in Sweden tonight, actually, because this is one of the countries that seems to be really affected by a lot of the things that we talk about relative to political correctness and free speech and identity politics. And believe it or not, Sweden is our fifth most viewed country, despite it being a tiny country. So our, our most viewed is the United States, then it's the UK, then Australia and Canada flip back and forth on three and four, and then five is Sweden, which is really bizarre because there aren't that many people here in Sweden. Um, so yeah, we've been to just in the last 10 days or so, we were in Dublin, Ireland, we were in Oslo, Norway, we were in Helsinki, Finland, we've had a couple stops in the UK, we'll be in uh, Copenhagen tomorrow in Denmark, uh, we'll be back in Helsinki, we're going to be back in Denmark, I mean, it really is something else, and as of this morning, it sounds like we're just signing on for a whole bunch more uh, 
next year, starting in February, it looks like a whole bunch of stops in Australia. It looks like we're going to hit up Germany and France and Belgium and a couple other places. And uh, it's just really cool. Uh, I also got some really, really great uh, career news, which hopefully I'll be able to announce in the next week or two uh, that I just found out a couple of days ago. And it's sort of linked to all of this stuff. Um, so I'm psyched on every front. And, you know, it's kind of funny. One of the things that I talk about when I'm doing these shows at night, and it's usually the auditoriums, the smallest one we did was in Amsterdam a couple of days ago. We did a 900 seat theater. That is, that's by far the smallest. Most of them are two. 1,000, 3,000, 4,000 or so. I think we did maybe one 5,000 in UK uh, early on in London. Um, but I always say to the audience at the beginning that it's so bizarre because if you spend any time online these days, especially on Twitter, it's like everyone hates each other. Everyone's fighting. We're all going to our sides and screaming at each other and everyone's trying to own the libtards or the conservatives or all of that stuff. And we all get caught up in it a little bit. I get caught up in it too sometimes. And we're, we're all not our best selves all the time. Um, but then I go out to these shows at night and I meet thousands and thousands of great people, you know, a couple protesters at some of the events, the, the protesters in Amsterdam, by the way, they handed out flyers. I was very impressed. Like they weren't screaming at people. They weren't, you know, stopping anybody from getting in or shouting or anything. They actually just, they printed out some stuff and they handed it to people. I didn't agree with what they printed out, but I was like, you guys are doing protests, right? I actually gave them a shout out on stage because I was like, this is this is kind of right. I also made fun of what they wrote, but you know, separate issue. So anyway, um, yeah, the election is tomorrow. And uh, well, it's tomorrow here. I guess it's tomorrow for you guys too, right? It's about 8 a.m. I think Los Angeles time right now. It's about 11 a.m. East Coast. So the big election is tomorrow. So there's a lot of thoughts that I want to share with you. And, uh, and all right, so here we go. So First off, I want to be very, very clear about one thing. If you are watching TV today or you have been watching the news for the past week or reading all the think pieces or all of that stuff, make it known to yourself and everyone else that nobody, nobody has a freaking clue what is going to happen tomorrow. So all the people pretending they know what's up and all the people who make all the predictions and who are crunching all the numbers... They don't know. This is as big of a crapshoot in American political history as there ever has been. You know, the analogy that I've used from the beginning is sort of that Trump came in here and tossed the chessboard up. The pieces are all over the place right now. Nobody has an idea where those pieces are going to shake out. We can all take the best estimated guesses. We can all kind, we can perhaps look at polls and if polling even works anymore. And there's some questions whether polls traditionally politically work anymore. There's a lot of reason to think that certain sets of people don't respond in polls, that they're using old landlines in polls, that people for political reasons don't want to talk to pollsters, all sorts of things. Uh, and you can even see, you know, it's really interesting. If you were to listen to conventional wisdom for the last, let's say, six or eight months, and you listen to mainstream media, what they've been saying is blue wave. It's all blue wave, blue wave, blue wave. Now, I said on live streams at least six months ago that that's not necessarily the way I see it because I think people are so sick of what the Democratic Party has embraced, which is identity politics. It's this oppression Olympics narrative. Um, it's that government is the answer to everything. It's this democratic socialism or socialist democratism, uh, whatever you want to call it, which they'll drop the uh, the democratic part as soon as they're in power. 
Uh, I think people are really sick about that. But before I give you my predictions, I just it's very important that everyone understand like all the experts are really not experts right now. They really aren't. And you can even see now in the last day or two, and I can even see this halfway across the world, um, that a lot of the predictors, you know, and Nate Silver from 538 and the rest of the people, everyone's kind of now going into 50-50 mode. I saw some people on CNN before. Suddenly everyone's going, oh, we thought there was a blue wave, but we just want to be clear, maybe not a blue wave. It's like everybody's guess is as good as anybody else's. Um, but we can all use some contextual clues to kind of figure out what we think. So here's what I'm going to do. So first, I'm going to tell you what I what I want to happen and some ways that I think we can get out of this mess. And then I'll tell you what I think will happen. There's probably no point in telling you what I think will happen, because if I'm wrong, it's like, well, ah, see, Ruben doesn't know what he's talking about. And if I'm right, it's like, OK, zippity doo dah. Um, but I will I will tell you. both. So, look, here's what I what I think has to happen. You know, before the election in 2016 with Trump, um, there weren't that many people that thought Trump could win. And all along the way, you saw pundits on every channel and YouTubers and everybody. It's never going to happen. It's not real, blah, blah, blah. And I was one of the people I was on Joe Rogan's podcast the day before the election, basically going, I think the Trump thing's kind of real because I was listening. I was listening to people and I was seeing what the talk was online. I saw this incredible momentum. And even though it wasn't reflected in the mainstream media, I thought, if anything, that gave it more reason to think that it was real because they were kind of ignoring it. So right now, it's a little, if you just look at polls and you listen to what mainstream media is talking about, it's almost impossible to garner what, what is happening. I mean, look, you could look at some of the polls where almost every poll right now still has you know blue wave or Democrats winning. And at the same time, we're seeing these massive, um, rallies that Trump is doing that seem as big, if not bigger, than when he was doing them two years ago. Rally is not an answer, of course. And I can tell you that uh, that David was voting yesterday in LA and that the uh, that the lines, he waited in line for like three or four hours. So I think there will be certain pockets that are blue that are going to vote very heavily. There'll be certain pockets that are red very heavily. A couple things make um, make midterms particularly difficult. Uh, one is it really, really comes down to turnout in a way more than the main elections, because at least in presidential elections, you're going to get that bar of, of who's going to vote. Midterms, you just never know. Now, it seems that there's going to be high turnout, right? And it seems like there's been a lot of early voting and all that kind of stuff. And it does seem that both sides are so energized at the moment, whether you're fully in it, Trump MAGA, or you're a resistor, it seems like you got a lot on the table right now to get out there and vote. So I suspect, and I think most people would probably agree with this, that the turnout is going to be pretty high. Um, okay, so here's what I think, here's what I sort of want to happen right now. Look, if, if you've been watching this show, you know the things that, that I care about most, and you know that for years now, I have been talking about why identity politics is so dangerous, that we will judge people on their immutable characteristics, whether it's their skin color or their sexuality or their gender, of which there are two, uh, all of these things, we will judge them and then we will take from some, we will give to other, we, others, we will figure out who should get into this school, who should get this job, all of these things that are the antithesis of the American dream, okay? They are the reverse of everything this country was founded on. Was the country founded perfectly? No. Has it made mistakes along the way? Yes. But by and large, in the 200 plus years of this nation, we have consistently bent more towards equality true equality, which means that the laws of the nation 
are equal for everybody. Not that you are going to be guaranteed success and some people might be born with more, some might be born with less. Some people will have more personal drive, some people will be lazy, some people will be given benefits from family members, some people won't. All of those things are real. Those those are just the that's just the sort of multitude of options that exist in a free society. There is no guarantee of freedom, but this idea, well, there is not a freedom. Well, there's no guarantee of freedom, but there is no guarantee of success. All we can do is set up a system that will hopefully give as many people the opportunity to pursue happiness, to live lives that are free based on their own ideas. That's what you want to do. Okay. I think now at this point, as I do this here on November 5th, 2018, that the Democratic Party has in no way at all taken a moment to reject some of these bad ideas. I say this as someone that voted Democrat my whole life. I say that I think, I've said this before, I think in Mike Bloomberg's third term when he flipped from a Democrat to a Republican or something like that, I think I voted for him. I'm not even totally sure. In New York City, I'm talking about as mayor. Um, but I have voted Democrat my whole life. I voted Obama my whole life. You guys know my journey, right? I mean, the PragerU video, why I left the left. You know, it's like, I was one of these people. I worked at the Young Turks, blah, blah, blah. I still begrudgingly or, or, or self, uh, self-flagellatingly consider myself a liberal. Um, but the left, as it stands in America today, which has now taken over the Democratic Party and these Democratic Socialists, these, these people are not liberal. The ideas that they are pushing, that big government is the answer to everything, these are not liberal ideas. Now, look, you guys know I like small government stuff, and there's a great discussion to be had about what that means. What, where is government necessary? Where isn't it necessary? I love talking to libertarians. I love talking to ANCAPs, classical liberals, about, about just that. I love talking about ideas. So it's like to talk about the minutia of the day-to-day -day issues actually isn't that interesting to me. But what I believe is that the Democrats have not stopped. You know, when before the Trump election, I kept saying, and I, I guess I was one of the few people saying it on the left at the time, and I guess that's partly why uh, this show really took off. But what I was saying basically was the left needs to stop doing it. It needs to stop playing identity politics. It needs to stop calling everyone racist and bigot and homophobic and transphobic and Islamophobic and the rest of it, because all of your intellectual opponents are not evil. They just aren't. And I have not seen any any reflection across the board on the left. What I have seen is that there's some liberals, let's say some of my IDW friends that are liberals that are basically on the outs of their party. And I, there's some big disagreement within the IDW now, and I'm sure we'll, we'll do shows about this on many of our channels, um, about what to do right now, because I'm definitely on the side that the, the Democrats they sort of need to be destroyed in this election. I don't mean just beat, but they really need to be destroyed so that liberalism, if liberalism has a chance to come back out of the ashes of this destroyed ideology, which I, and I think it's a terrible ideology. I think it is, I think identity politics, which they have embraced, they have absolutely embraced to the point that you've got the democratic, um, uh, candidate for Georgia governor embracing Linda Sarsour, Bernie Sanders. It's just crazy. They've embraced it. They've taken it in. And I think that thing, 
needs to be voted out and destroyed. And if it's destroyed, then out of the ashes of that, then I think some true liberalism, some, some sensible voices in the Democratic Party can come back. I don't know where they are now. I mean, people keep saying to me, well, Dave, how could you, how could you leave the Democrats? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be a Republican. And I'll talk about the Republicans and the conservatives in just a second. But it's like, I don't see anyone. I, I don't see anyone that represents any of the views that I hold at this point. Where is the JFK of the Democrats? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That is the 180 to what Bernie says. Bernie wants to, your government to give you things. It wants to tell corporations how much they have to pay you. And it wants to give you free healthcare which, um, and free education, all these things which are not free and free college for everyone. At the same time, while automation is kicking in and we're gonna have less need for people to go to college and all of these things, they all sound good. It all sounds good, diversity and equality. It all It's all buzzwords that all sound great, but it's, me it's not only meaningless, it's much more dangerous than meaningless. It's actually, it's actually perverse and it's actually antithetical to freedom. So what I think is, well, I'll get to the predictions in a sec. What I think has to happen, the best way out of this right now, if you want to get out of this political mess that we seem to be in at the moment, I think if the, if the Democrats basically got destroyed so that it, a strong signal, if the Trump signal in 2016 was not good enough, a strong signal would be sent to them that the bulk of the country is against this hysterical mob nonsense, then maybe finally the liberals would stand up. They would say, you know what? We've, we've been held hostage by our own side and we're not going to do it anymore. And then they could start rebuilding a healthy party. And I, I want to be clear about something. And this is something that uh, Jordan Peterson talks about often in these talks that we're doing. You know, if you're in a fight, let's say you're in a fight with your, uh, with your spouse, you don't want to beat your spouse. I don't mean physically, although you don't want to do that. Um, you don't want to beat them in a fight to the point that they're the loser because then you're just married to a loser. Okay. I think this is a good analogy for this. I want these guys to be beat so that then a hand can be put out for them so that they can kind of come back. They can kind of find, look through the ashes and go, whoa, we lost our way. Let's abandon some of these bad ideas. Let's return to true liberalism, true tolerance, live and let live where perhaps we want a little more government. Perhaps we want a little less to go to the military. Perhaps uh, we, we still want to fight for the social issues. We still generally are pro-choice, but we, we don't think that all the people who are pro-life hate women. I mean, some semblance of liberal tolerance that used to exist that in effect is gone these days. I think that can come back, but the only way it can come back is if this thing gets destroyed. So look at it the other way. Let's say the Democrats do well. So now where are we at? If the Democrats you know, take the House and the Senate? Well, now, I even hate to say this, but we, it seems like we'd be in like this low-grade Cold War slash Civil War, where they're going to have to try to impeach Trump, and then, and it's like we, we already saw what everything everything that happened with Kavanaugh, and it's like due process won't matter. It will just be the it will be a mob versus versus whatever you want to call Trump at this point, and that will not be good for the country. If you think it's bad now, we will look back and think that these were the good old days. 
So if they win, they will be emboldened. The last few liberals, whoever they are, they email me every now and again, shell-shocked with PTSD. They can't figure out what's going on anymore. The last few liberals will be purged because that's what the left has done. The left has purged basically all of their free thinkers. I think you know of enough interviews that I've done to, to understand why this is because they have a narrower and narrower accepted range of thought. So you can't, I mean, show me a Democrat. Where are the blue dog Democrats? Show me a Democrat these days that's pro-life. It does, it's not that important to, to parse every little issue like this, but it's like, show me where, where is a Democrat who, uh, who will talk about uh, smaller government and states' rights and some of these things. These used to not just be conservative principles, right? Um, so I think this thing needs to be destroyed. And if it's destroyed then they could possibly come back. And then what they would do is as a sensible, as a sensible left, whether I'd be part of them or not, as a sensible left, I think then they could potentially moderate the parts of the right that maybe people are worried about. Okay, so so that's what I think would be the best situation. So they, they get, basically they get destroyed. And by the way, if if that happened, so I know a lot of people will be watching this and thinking, okay, well, if the Democrats get destroyed, now Trump's got the, you know, he's got the House and the Senate. He's he's already a year into his presidency, or you know, two years into his presidency, one term into the presidency, and now isn't he just going to be unhinged and do whatever he wants to do? Trump, as a populist, I still think this even now wants to be popular, and you'd have to show me. Look, you got to put the tweets aside for a moment when you're talking about Trump. We can talk about them perhaps in another live stream, but. In terms of the policy that he's done two years later, I don't think any of the people that voted for him are that upset about policy. Their taxes are lower. We don't seem to be going into any other wars. We've reconfigured some trade deals uh, that seem to be making some sense. Uh, the economy's doing pretty well, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think any of the core Trump people um, are, have looked and gone, you know what, I voted for Trump, but now I think this identity politics left makes sense. Like. There's got to be somebody out there like that, but I, I don't think there's many. But you know, another thing is, look on the left right now. You've got you've got the the far leftists, the, the democratic socialists, whatever they are, and then you've got the couple liberals that are trying to figure out who they are and where they are and where they should be. And that's it. That that really is it. Maybe you've got some further left Green Party people or something like that. But in terms of what the discussion is on the left, it's either you buy identity politics, you buy that the America is an evil patriarchy and all of those things, or you're pretty much on the outs. I'm, I'm being slightly hyperbolic here, obviously. Uh, on the right, though, I do see intellectual diversity. You've got the Trump wing. You've got the anti-Trump, never Trump people. You've got this new wing of libertarians and I'd say classical liberals that are kind of going, all right, we can play ball here. We seem to be able to have conversations with these people. Um, so even if we're not one of them necessarily, or even if we don't consider ourselves conservative per se, at least there we can talk to these people. Uh, I can tell you that for me, I go to I go to college events and I go to these events with Jordan and I go to also and I do stand up and all these things and I talk about often to conservative crowds, relatively conservative crowds, let's say, um, and I talk about being gay, married, pro-choice, against the death penalty, for legalizing marijuana, uh, for euthanasia, for reforming the prison system, all of these things, and people seem to dig it, even if they disagree. They want to have that conversation. So I see you got the Trumps, you got the Never Trumps, you got the libertarians, classical liberals. Um, and then you probably have some other, then I guess you probably have some, 
some more neocons, but maybe that's the, the, the never Trumpers. But basically you've got a couple wings that are kind of battling it out right now. Now, does Trump take most of the oxygen in that space? Of course he does, absolutely. Um, but at least there's some level of healthy debate there. Um, and I think those people are malleable. You know, when I go to, uh, I spoke at the Turning Point USA um, Young Leadership Summit. It was the, I think they said it was the largest gathering of young conservatives in American history. I spoke there, uh, Peter Thiel spoke there, Seb Gorka spoke there, um, a whole slew of uh, Steve Scalise spoke there, uh, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk and a whole bunch of others. And what I found was young conservatives really are open-minded. The portion of the right that really perhaps was closed-minded or really was against gay marriage or really um, was against some of the social stuff, I think that portion of, of the religious right, say the Mike Huckabee wing, um, I don't think they have as much influence anymore. And I think that partly it's because some of us in the online space have been somewhat effective communicating that for conservatives, if you guys want to live your lives however you wanna live them, you gotta let other people live their lives however they wanna live them. In this case, say gay people or people that wanna smoke pot or whatever the hell it is somebody wants to do. So I'm really enthused by the fact that I see a libertarian strain in the Republican party. Look. You know, I've done a couple of videos with Ben Shapiro on the gay marriage issue. Now, I don't even like talking about it anymore because the ship has sailed. Gay marriage is here and they're not going to suddenly force a zillion gay people to get divorced. You know, they don't like divorce either. Okay. Um, but when I hear someone like Ben Shapiro, who wasn't, he wasn't like screaming, get the government out of marriage before gay marriage. Right. But once it was passed by the Supreme Court, Ben takes the libertarian position on it, that the government shouldn't be involved. I hear Dennis Prager take the libertarian position on it. I hear most of these guys take that position now. That's, that's just fine. However, you got to get to the right end conclusion that will maximize freedom for the most amount of people. I think that's the best thing possible. So I see some hope there, and I know I'm, I'm on the outs of what many of my, uh, my friends and, and some of my IDW crew think about this, um, but, that, but first off, that's healthy and we're happy to talk about it, so that's, that's most important. Um, but I think the Democrats have to be destroyed, and out of that destruction, maybe something good comes out of it, and they, they reconfigure, they figure out, oh, we're gonna return to our roots, where are our Daniel Patrick Moynihan's? Where are our JFKs? Where are the blue dog Democrats? And then because of their moderation, right? Because then they'll have taken their party from the far left, they'll have brought them in a little bit. I think what can happen on the right, and I'm seeing this, I'm, I just, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it every night when I go out and I give these talks literally all over the world now, but I'll do it from American context for the purposes of this. It's like, I go out there and I see tolerance amongst conservatives. It's not what you will see on CNN where you know Don Lemon's gonna tell you that, that all white men are evil terrorists or whatever the hell he said. It's like, you're not gonna see that, um, but I'm seeing it for real. And that's why, that's why I'm enthused. I'm enthused generally right now because uh, I live in two different worlds. I live in the Twitter world. And as I said, then I live in, in the real world where I'm meeting all sorts of great people doing all sorts of things. So I think there's a chance that, that through all of this, We'll see a, a resurrection uh, of the Democrats if they get destroyed. And I think at the same time, that could cause an emboldening, an emboldenment of the, of the decent conservatives, of which I think there are many now, so that they will push out the bad voices in their party. So for the real 
the race realists or the white supremacists or the real far right people who want America to be a white ethno state, which is completely against uh, the founding documents and that everything that America is and is not conservative by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, oddly, that's more left if you really think about it, because that's about big government making decisions about people. If you want people to truly be free, which is freedom, ultimate freedom is on the right. Um, I don't see how that even makes sense, but that's a, that's a whole other topic, um, how sort of race got caught up between the right-left dichotomy. And as I always say, it's like, this is not even about right-left anymore. You're either for state power or you're for personal freedom. If you believe in the individual, then look, then look down the, look down the line, look at all of the candidates you've got there and which ones and which party do you think will give you more power to control your life that will allow you to control more of your money, you to figure out how you want to live and where you want to live and not take from you or give to you and take from someone else or any of those things. And generally that happens to be the Republicans right now. And I say this as, again, I am not a Republican. Uh, okay. So let's, uh, let's make a couple of predictions or should I do a couple of questions here? Hey guys, give me uh, uh for my guys, I'm talking to you guys right now, throw me uh, like two or three good questions right at the top of my document here. Uh, and I'll jump on those first. Um, oh, by the way, guys, real quick. Um, if you're in the LA area, I'm at the, uh, the Brea improv on November 13th and, and on four, on the 14th, I'm at Oxnard at levity live. Uh, and I will be with an IDW member doing stand-up. So I do about an hour of stand-up and then I bring on one of the IDW people. We did this with Jordan Peterson as a surprise guest, sold out, sold out uh, Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago. It was great. I crushed it for like an hour and then I brought out Peterson and, and we just laughed and told jokes for like another 45 minutes or hour or so. Uh, by the way, guys, also, if you want to jump in on the questions that I'm going to be doing right now, um, you can go to patreon.com slash Ruben report. And we're doing all sorts of interesting things with Patreon these days. It's called Ruben Select. And we've got a, a members only feed where people are having actual decent conversation, very different often than the YouTube comment section or Twitter and things of that nature. The Ruben Report is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Making the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan, letting your friends pick your karaoke song, or using a job site that makes you wait for the right candidate to apply to your job. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ruben to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the US, and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash Ruben. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Ruben. ziprecruiter.com slash Ruben. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to the show. Okay, so what the hell am I doing here? Quick reset. Uh, I'm talking election. I'm live in Sweden right now. I've got a show in about an hour and a half with Jordan Peterson. And uh, I'm telling you my thoughts on uh, on what I think will happen and or what I think should happen to kind of give us an out. I've already given you that, right? A sort of just a destruction of the Democrats so that they finally start waking up. Again, that was what 
I was asking for before Trump was ever elected. Guys, guess what's going to happen? Trump's going to get elected if uh, if the Democrats don't run from this identity politics stuff and run from calling everybody racists and bigots, but they haven't. They've just doubled down, doubled down, doubled down, doubled down. And one of the reasons you're probably watching this and you're probably into what the IDW is doing is because we're, we're some of the few people that are willing to talk about it, mostly as, as former lefties. I mean, if you look at the IDW crew, if you look at, at Eric and Brett and Sam and me and even Christina and Joe Rogan, most of these people were for, they're either lefties now, if you can accept that that's still part of the left, or they're at least former lefties. You know, there's only really the ones that I would say are traditionally conservative. Really, Shapiro's probably the only one. So it's so funny. People will paint us as if we're all these right wing maniacs, as The Guardian tried to do this week. And it's like, no. But, but the more that you write articles like that, the more that you make it clear that nobody that has a free thought is allowed to be part of the left, well, then you're making the right the biggest tent ever. And I, that's another thing that I think is happening right now. And that's why I said there's these different columns on the right that are acceptable and that are having healthy dialogue and it's just not happening the other way. Okay, so here we go. Let me, let me knock out one or two questions and then, uh, and then I'll jump into some actual predictions. Um, Dave, politicians keep throwing around the term blue wave without defining it. Defining it. In your opinion, what type of election results would constitute a wave? Um, well, I'm going to get to my predictions in a minute, so I'm, let me let me hold that one for uh, for just a sec. Um, I love this question. If you were famous in a field disconnected from politics, would you speak out on political issues or would you stay out of it? So this is tough. So one of the questions we get most at these Jordan Peterson events, and when I do the stand-up events and whatever else is people that are kind of afraid to say what they think. And often we get this at colleges where kids are afraid to say what they think to their professors because they don't want their grades to be hurt. But we get this all the time from people that are afraid to say that, they, you know, I'm for low taxes and people are going to say, you're racist, and then you're going to get fired or something like that. Or you'll be on the outs at your job. Now that's that's not for a famous person. That's just for the day-to-day -day person. And that's that's most of us, right? So, so that's pretty freaking scary that, that there is a huge amount of people in the West walking around afraid to say what they think. That's why years ago I was saying this thing about I'm not afraid right now, and I still stand by this. I said this about two years ago. I am not afraid of the government coming for my free speech right now. I am afraid that the masses are actively silencing themselves. And then what happens when you have a, a, a massive group of people that this little chihuahua, I think as Eric Weinstein is called the chihuahua effect, you've got this little massive people that are yelping and screaming like a chihuahua that's just really loud. It seems much bigger than it is. And then it, it, it has infected the media and it's infected academia and the rest of it. But it's, I really still believe this. It's not that many people that believe that stuff. It just has figured out a way to just permeate through the system in the worst possible ways. And if enough of us would just stand up and look at the chihuahua, just stare at that freaking chihuahua, I think the chihuahua would go running. And I think that that's what we've got to do here. The, that's sort of the metaphor for it, but what you got to do is go out and vote and say, no more Chihuahua, not going to find it. Actually, I think it was The Atlantic that published a, a study, a poll maybe three weeks ago or so, that basically only 8% of people in America really are on board all of this political correctness, social justice stuff. So if that's true, we should not be afraid of them. And, and many of them, by the way, they're self-owning hostages. They're their own hostages because they've used those tactics. I see this all the time. 
if you're one of these people that has used the tactics of calling everyone you know a bigot and a racist, everyone that you disagree with is a bigot. Well, first off, they, they, this is why Peter Bogosian calls it a, a secular religion. It's so morally empowering. How incredible is that? You're saving the world because you're fighting bigots. We're fighting Nazis and you can punch Nazis, can't you? This is a huge problem. It, it inflates your ego. It inflates your, your sense of self-importance. And it makes it like you're on a religious mission. These are the very same people who hate religion. So I think most people are not for that. I would say by and large, 80% of people just want to live and let live. Now within that 80%, you're going to have some that are going to lean conservative and maybe are, I mean, abortion, I just think is an easy one to discuss in this matter. Let's say they're pro-life, but they want to basically live and let live. And then you've got uh, within that 80% Democrats or people on the left who are uh, pro-choice. And but basically they want to live in the same society and they don't want the government coming in and telling everyone how to live and all of that. And they don't want open borders. You know, I love the open borders one. It's like, man, the same people who all day long will tell you what an evil racist patriarchy America is. What do they also want? Open borders. Because apparently they want everyone to share in the horror that is America. You know, nobody ever leaves. I say this all the time, right? It's like, nobody ever leaves. Lena Dunham, She's still here. She's still here. I'm sure she could have a lot of people that would help her leave, but she's still here because everyone knows at the end of the day, at the end of all of the arguments, tell me how horrible and evil and racist America is. Tell me all of these deeply ridiculous things, not to say we're perfect, but tell me again and again and again, how evil we are and the patriarchy and all of this stuff. And at the end, everyone wants to come to America and nobody wants to leave. And that tells you something. So the next time they tell you, this is like Nazi Germany. You know what? Nazi Germany didn't let citizens leave. Nazi Germany put its own citizens in concentration camps. People weren't dying to get in to Nazi Germany. They were dying to get out of Nazi Germany. Um, so, so also the, the superlatives and the hyperbole that they use is really, uh, is really terrible. So in answer to your question, for famous people, so this is someone like an actor, let's say, or an athlete or whatever. I mean, I can tell you this. So Mark Ruffalo is a big uh, lefty activist. And Mark Ruffalo, for those of you that don't know, he is he plays the Hulk in the Avengers movies. Um, I followed him on Twitter for a while, and he just, he's all about identity politics. I mean, all the things that I, that I don't like. He's entitled to his views, but like it was just like this endless stream of all of this stuff that I don't like to the point that I was just like, I just don't like this guy anymore. I don't like him, and I unfollowed him. But then when I was watching, uh, and then I hadn't thought about him for, I don't know, six or eight months or something. And then as I was watching Avengers Infinity War, which was fan-freaking-tastic, by the way, um, every time he would pop up on screen, I could see the man, Mark Ruffalo, and not Bruce Banner or the Hulk. I, could just, I was just like, oh, you've brought politics into this. Nobody wants to think about politics when you're watching the Avengers. And you guys have done that. So, so look, you should use your voice however you see fit. And Colin Kaepernick, who I basically disagree uh, with on, on the bigger issues. He's welcome to do what he wants. The owners are welcome to do what they want. Trump is welcome to do what, what he wants. The media is welcome to critique and back whoever they want. And that whole thing, as I've said many times, was an exercise in freedom. Everyone said what they wanted and nobody got fired for it. Everyone, the, everyone made the decision accordingly. It was an exercise in freedom and freedom's a little sloppy. And sometimes you may, it may not feel that great at the end. Um, because that's what freedom is. It's, it's, it's the experiment. It's the experiment of life. And the best thing you can do out of that experiment, if you want to get something better after is give as much opportunity for freedom to take root. Um, 
so as for as for public people, it's on them to decide what to do. But I see this. I, I have friends. I mean, good friends who are who are in Hollywood, who who are big lefties that you know tweeting and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, could you just not? It's also it's sort of like just because you're an actor, it doesn't mean people care what you think. And if anything, I think at this point, they're maybe getting more people to vote against the things that they're pushing than, than the other way around. But I would say ultimately it's, it's on everyone to figure that out. Um, okay, one more and then I'll jump in and on uh, a couple other things. Um, why, oh, this is a great one. Why is a candidate who vows to support and follow the constitution such a hard sell to Americans? So I actually think that it isn't a hard sell, but it has been framed as a hard sell because of the media. Because basically, if you if you are a constitutionalist, so the closest we have to that, I'd say there's a couple. So you've got, say, Rand Paul, who is the most libertarian member of the Senate. You've got Ted Cruz. He's pretty close to a constitutional conservative. Uh, you've got uh, Mike Lee, you know, a couple others. You've got Justin Amash up in uh, in Michigan. you got you got a couple that are a little more libertarian, meaning they believe in states' rights. They believe in due process. They believe in the Constitution and letting states do as much as possible. And and all that. Now, I think most people are for that. But for some reason, there's something about the cult of personality about the presidency that makes us, it, it's almost like we want a king. And, you know, in Europe, they often have prime minister who's in effect the president, the one that's the head of the government. And then you've got the president. It's a little bit di different in every country, but the president is often a, sort of a figurehead that can go uh, have the dinners and meet the entrepreneurs and do and travel to other countries and do all the niceties. And in a weird way, it's almost like we're starting to need that in America because Trump is now both. He's the president who has to get shit done. And he's also the all-encompassing personality all the time. Now, that's also a little specific to, to who Trump is and how he operates. Um, but I would say most people, if they really understood what the Constitution lays out. The Constitution is the most perfect document in modern history. And it was only written a couple hundred years ago. It guarantees the most freedom for the most people. It was, I say this all the time, guys, it was written by imperfect men, some of whom who owned slaves, who later then were writing the laws to free the slaves. And we can look back and, and use our 2018 judgments on all of the people of the past. And guess what? History will not be kind on you either. Because if you eat meat right now in 40 years, when they've figured out all the ways to scientifically engineer meat, and there are pictures of you with a freaking ribeye bone in your mouth eating meat, and your grandchildren, who will have been indoctrinated into all of this, look at you and think you're disgusting and you just have to die and you're old and look what you did to the environment. It's like, this, this is real. This is the repeating of history. This is how generations move on and on and on. And we've got to put an end to this. So I think most people do actually want to live by the Constitution. I think if most people really understood what limited government is, if most people really understood that you should be involved more in your local politics, than in uh, national politics. That if you don't like, if Florida's education system is bad, then move elsewhere. They've got low taxes though, so you might have to pay more taxes elsewhere. If you care, really care about uh, legalizing marijuana, you can move to Cal Colorado. If you don't like how lefty California is becoming and, and the incredibly high taxes, things that I'm not thrilled with, right? Um, then, then leave California and, and maybe go to Arizona. What an incredible experiment 
experiment you have here. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's right. Oh, no, not right, because I do think it is right. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's on you to figure out a place to live and a community to be part of and all of those things. And you have an opportunity to do it here because if the federal government controls everything, you got to leave the freaking country. And, and if you want a little bit more on this, just so that I'm not repeating myself, uh, check out my interview from about two years ago with Randy Barnett, who's a constitutional law professor at Georgetown. He's argued in front of the Supreme Court. Um, he talks about the foot vote. It's one of the real conversations that I had that affected me the most in terms of why small government and, and constitutional principles is, uh, is important. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you thanks to the great people over at Keeps. Guys, let's talk about something no one wants to think about, but we've all worried about, hair loss. Maybe you've noticed you have a little less hair than you used to have, but you're not sure there's a real solution. The thing is, there's only two clinically proven medications that let you keep the hair you have, and now there's an inexpensive way to get them. You don't need to lose your hair if you don't want to. I have to tell you about Keeps. For just five minutes now and a dollar a day, Keeps is coming to the rescue, so you never have to worry about hair loss again. We decided to give the ordering a try. We snapped some photos, answered a few simple questions, and got a prompt response from the licensed doctors over at Keeps. Getting started with Keeps is truly so easy. Signing up for Keeps takes less than five minutes. The entire ordering process was so quick, there's no reason to keep putting off trying Keeps. Keeps offers the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you have probably tried them before, but you've never gotten them at this price. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, plus now you can even get your first month free. That's a hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash Rubin. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Rubin. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash Rubin. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow, and now back to the show. Um, okay, I've got to get some more questions. People are, getting, people are giving me questions, and i got to get to them. Uh, from your recent travels, do you have an impression of how Europe and Scandinavia are handling these issues of identity politics and freedom of speech, or more specifically, if their left feels different from that of the states in a significant way? Now, look, it's a little bit the, the type of people who are coming to an event where Jordan Peterson and I are speaking, um, obviously are a self-selected group. So I'm talking to people who are very sensitive to these issues, who are concerned about the direction of their country. They're worried about free speech. They're worried about identity politics. You know, here in the in the Nordic countries that we've been in now, Oslo uh, and, and here in Sweden, this is the particularly interesting one, because as I said, we have a lot of viewers in Sweden, and it does seem like there's something a little more precarious happening in Sweden at the moment. I'm gonna talk about it on stage tonight and, and we'll see, we'll see. Um, you know, people will always, the, the left often will say, oh, look at the Nordic countries, look at these socialist Nordic countries. And it's like, you know, these countries are pretty much all white. And I know you don't like that. And they have a shared culture and they have a shared um, history. And that actually isn't what America is. We are the great melting pot. And there is a difference when you have people that all come from one area and all have a shared history and a shared culture. That just is. That has nothing to do with racism or anything like that. But at the same time, I think these countries are all having their own struggles because as the uh, as the immigration numbers have changed and things like that and integrating people, I think things have gotten a little bit weird. And I think this is happening across Europe. You can watch Doug, uh, read Douglas Murray's great book, The Strange Death of Europe, and, and Germany struggling with this after letting in a million 
plus refugees and then how much can you give to people and then it's hard to get them off the dole and how do you integrate them and 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 all of that almost has nothing to do with religion even so don't make this about religion even um so it's a little hard to say i think i'll have a better sense we're, we're doing a second show in oslo in a couple of days and we'll be back here in in sweden in a couple of days too uh, i can tell you from the people i'm meeting there is a definite concern about it and what a lot of them i think have said to me is that they're worried that the culture war that seems to be being fought so hard in America right now is starting to leak into these countries. But that's what the internet is, right? Like we're all talking about the same things. I can tell you one of the most inspiring things, it's, it's inspiring and kind of dangerous, I guess, at the same time, or a little scary, is that I'm speaking to people all over the world right now. And it's really cool, like last night, so at these Q and A's that I do, um, so people can buy an extra ticket. Jordan does a, a separate meet and greet after, and then I do a meet and greet. And Jordan usually gets about a hundred people or so, or maybe more than that. And mine's usually smaller, like 20 or so people. It's all good. It's, Jordan, it's Jordan's show. I'm not Jordan. It's no problem. Um, but because I have a smaller group, I can, Jordan really, you know, he could take a picture with you. He can say hi real quick, but they got to kind of keep it moving on. Although people are thrilled to do it and it's wonderful. Uh, for mine, usually we do, we go into my green room or a side room or a cafeteria and I get 20 or 30 people, uh, sometimes less, sometimes more. And we all kind of sit around and we, and we chat about things and we really get one-on-one -on -one time. And I get to meet a lot of these people and hear their concerns and what they're talking about. And it's like last night when we were in, um, where the hell was I last night? Was I, Oh, we were in uh, in Helsinki. Uh, I chatted with a couple uh, Finnish people. There was a girl and a guy there from Estonia. And she was talking about the exact same things that the Finnish people were talking about. There was a guy that was originally from Mexico who moved to Finland and he was talking about the same things. It's like this stuff really does transcend borders. And I'm meeting people that are that are black and white and gay and straight and trans people showing up to Peterson shows and everything. And, and people want to fight this identity politics thing. I think a, a huge growing number of people see it. And that, that sort of brings us all the way back to the beginning about why I think the Democrat Party, the Democratic Party in America sort of has to be, it has to be hollowed out and rebuilt. And I, and I hope that is uh, what will happen. All right, let's see. Are you concerned about the response of the left if they don't gain power in the US tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, again, this is why calling your opponents racist and Nazis and claiming that everyone's a white supremacist, this is why it's so dangerous. There's no way to walk that back. It's possible, like I just have fundamental differences with the people that I'm talking about here, right? I have differences of political opinion. I don't think they're evil. I think there are some evil people pulling the strings that, that some of the leadership was really bad people who just want power. But I think by and large, the road, is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I don't think most of these people are evil. But Dennis Prager has a great line on this. He says, the right thinks that the left is wrong the left thinks that the right is evil. And I think that that's pretty spot on here. They, If you believe that everyone you're arguing against is a Nazi, well, then you're never going to concede. And this was also the danger from beat one if you were going to keep calling Trump Hitler, which actually is the, it, for this people that hate cultural appropriation, this is the height of cultural appropriation, taking a man who committed a mass genocide, caused, the, I mean, 6 million Jews, 20 million Russians, war, world war, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, you've just appropriated the deaths of an awful lot of people to, to put it on, to put it on Trump for all the flaws that he, this man might have. Um, but once you label somebody, these horrible things, it's almost impossible to walk it back. So let's say they get destroyed tomorrow. The left gets destroyed, right? The Democrats get destroyed. 
what what would be sensible would be a moment of reflection. Maybe we screwed up here. Maybe we have gone a little bit off the deep end. Maybe maybe the American people are realizing that it it, it can't just be the way we want it. It can't just be big government and Bernie and Elizabeth Warren because we want it. Um, that what we really want is smaller government. That way, a guy like Trump, if we really think he's the devil, can't have too much power. That would be a sensible reevaluation. Is there any evidence that that will happen? I no. I mean, there isn't. Like I'm telling you, what I think is the is the is the tiniest possibility here to get us out of this mess is that the party gets resurrected. That that then Trump then feels like he has a bit of a mandate. He then pull, he can then say to the, whoever you think is on the right, you know these these really bad guys. I don't need you. Get out of my way. And and he can govern perhaps a little bit more from the center, which sort of is what I think he's doing at the moment anyway. But for the people that want him to take a stronger hit on the on the people on the far right, perhaps he could do that. Um, and also, you know, I, I don't think the country or, or I don't think any movement can exist on anger and resentment and outrage all the time. So who knows? Maybe after a couple of years, if, if the Democrats really got beat, Trump maybe would be like, you know what? I did it in one term. And now there would be an opportunity for a decent conservative, say a Nikki Haley or somebody like that, uh, that would run on something very different than Trump because the country wouldn't want outrage. It wouldn't want trolling. It wouldn't want the battle between the media and, and the presidency anymore. So and Trump would just say, all right, I did one, I won, I'm going to walk away a winner, here's somebody else. I mean, it sort of sounds like The Apprentice, doesn't it? Like, I think anything is possible these days. But we got to start thinking, we need to start building a better story so that the story, we, so everyone's just thinking of a story that all ends horribly, but we need to start putting out some stories that end well. And I think that that could potentially be one of them. Um, what's your biggest aha moment while being on tour with Jordan? Uh, have any of your views changed or evolved? Well, first off, it really, this has been an honor that I can't even fully explain. Like Jordan is the leading public intellectual in the world. I think he is the most, uh, influential and clearest thinker that we have possibly really in the world. I mean, I, I just don't know another, at least certainly someone that's speaking English. Um, this tour has been absolutely amazing. There has not been a moment that has, has gone awry or wrong. Uh, the worst thing that happened was one in one city. I can't even remember where it was. Maybe in, in Miami, I said we were in Fort Lauderdale or something like that. Like, like it's just been great. Uh, being around him is, is kind of intoxicating. I've really tried to incorporate the 12 rules into my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be. As you can see, I'm sitting up straight. I think my shirt fits right. I'm not lying and all sorts of other stuff. I pet a cat if I see it, even though I'm allergic. Um, I would say, you know, his debate between, uh, the debate that he had between him and Sam uh, about meaning and where does value come from? And that to give you the very, very short version that Sam believes that meaning can come from facts alone, although he does believe in the value of stories, but Jordan believes that facts alone can't give value and that you need these stories and that he would argue that the stories of religion, of, of Christianity have given a, um, well, he would say the Old Testament and the New Testament have given a, have unlocked an ancient truth, let's say, a, a timeless truth. Um, he has kind of moved me on that. It's pretty powerful stuff when I hear him uh, go through it every night. And he really does. I mean, I'm telling you guys, 90 some odd shows, I've been around for about 70 of them. 
and he challenges himself every night. I haven't seen him do the same show twice. And I also can tell you this, this guy is not an actor. He is exactly the same off stage, off camera, whatever it is uh, that he is otherwise. We've eaten a lot of steaks together. Uh, we've had a lot of great conversations and, uh, and I'm honored, to, I'm really, I'm honored to be part of this thing and, and hopefully we're gonna keep continuing it and, and some other cool stuff is uh, going on. Uh, how's the response to Jordan and you different in Europe than the US? I mean, one thing, although although last night in Helsinki was a little different, the European crowds are a little more tame. So when I've gone up, usually, so the show starts, they announce me, you know, host of Ruben Court, Dave Rubin. In America, the crowds have virtually all, they go completely bananas. Sometimes I get standing ovations before I even do anything. I mean, it really, it's like, I'm like, holy cow, I cannot believe this. Um, and then, you know, I like to play with the crowd. So there'll be some heckling and some screaming and I get people to kind of yell and have fun or whatever. I do my thing for 10 or 15 minutes. Jordan then does his thing for about an hour and a half or so, as I said, different every single night. And then uh, and then we do a moderated Q&A, the two of us for about 40 or 45 minutes. The crowds in, in Europe generally have been a little bit more subdued. Some of the countries, it's English isn't their first language, but I don't think that's necessarily it. I think there's a certain... Uh, there's just a different feeling about sort of what theater or what live performance is. But last night in Helsinki was, was I think it might've been our best show. I mean, it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a little bit different. I think maybe we've both been a little less political. The shows actually haven't been very political since we've been in Europe. Uh, Jordan's going more to the, to the biblical stuff and sort of the more direct uh, responsibility of the individual stuff. Um, so that, I would say that's been one thing. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, our founding fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. That's because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer or soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it is their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And now back to the show. All right, guys, we're going to go a little bit longer, and then I have to meet that Jordan Peterson fellow. We are in uh, Denmark, Sweden tonight. We're back in Denmark next week, tomorrow. I'm sorry, we're, we're, in, we're, in, we're in Sweden tonight. 
Uh, then we're in Denmark tomorrow. We're back in Sweden next week. We're back in Oslo next week, et cetera, et cetera. All right, let me just jump in on a couple super chats because I see a whole bunch of you uh, jumping in here. Um, hey, Dave, love your work. Thoughts on Candace Owens, Blexit, and its effects on identity politics. Calling it now, calling it now Jewish exit, Jexit. <laughs> I mean, look, I think a lot of minorities are realizing you don't have to vote for the Democrats just because you're a minority. If you're Asian and you realize now that identity politics is working against you, Harvard is taking less Asians because they don't want too many Asians because Asians test too well, you might realize this is a bad idea that has been embraced by the Democrats. Um, so I think I think also Jewish people suffer from this because Jews, by and large, put a tremendous amount into education and into family. And because of that, uh, they have succeeded. And because of success, you're no longer thought of as a victim and nobody wants to be a victim. But because of that, then you, to the standards of the Oppression Olympics, you're now a bad guy. So it's like, you know, which is why when this Pittsburgh thing happened, which was absolutely horrific, obviously, it's like then suddenly the left's all about the Jews, but it's like, you kind of like people that are victims and I'd rather be alive and hated than dead and liked. Just That's just me though. Um, I'm 16 and I realize how outnumbered I am as a libertarian conservative. Should the voting age be lowered? I don't think the voting age should be lowered right now. I think there's just too much confusion related to the internet and everything else. I, I should do a little bit more on this. Let me get an ex expert in to come and talk about that. Um, Dave, nice show. Some of the best stuff on YouTube. Quick question. Do you think we're in the middle of a political realignment? A massive one. I mean, I this is what I'm saying about how these ideas are spreading across the world. I think the West is grappling with what freedom is. I think this is happening across borders. I think people are waking up. I mean, again, how cool is it that a young girl who I met in Estonia last night is sitting across from a Mexican immigrant to Finland with an American YouTuber listening to a Canadian psychologist it's awesome it's incredibly inspiring don't you know we all watch you guys are right now right now you person watching this you're most likely watching on this thing or on your computer right and chances are you're alone right now or maybe you're listening to it and it's like you're probably alone and it, it makes you think you're the only one thinking these things but don't think that joe rogan's podcast is crushing it our audio podcast has now superseded our youtube views whether youtube is unsubscribing people or not letting videos go out to the feed or whatever our, we're doing better on the audio podcast side at this point so it's a it's a lonely thing podcasting and all this stuff because you don't know how many other people are into it but i believe way more are into it and that's also why they keep calling us all bigots and racists and all of those other things because they're losing control of the narrative Dominic, read this out loud and make my day. Ha ha, I did it. Okay. Um, is the IDW going to suggest specific legislation to fix issues? That's a really interesting idea. What I can tell you is we're trying to figure out what the future of the IDW is. You know, are we just about having conversations or is there a political future? Maybe some people are going to run, not me. I would run from politics. Um, but if Shapiro wants to be president, maybe I'll be press secretary for like the most ridiculously scandalous week ever. Um, you know, are we a are we a YouTube replacement? Are we a touring company? Are we a publishing house? I mean, who knows? Are we all of these things? I think we're we're having all of these discussions. They're ongoing. You know, some of us have different wants and needs than others, so we're trying to figure that all out. Um, Dave, are you at the meet and greet tonight as well as Jordan? I have a little gift to give you that I think you'll find funny. Would be nice to hand it over in person. Thanks. So I do a different meet and greet 
than Jordan does. Um, but if you go to the OMG VIP website, just search OMG VIP Dave Rubin, uh, you should be able to get tickets to my meet and greet if they closed it already because it's so close to showtime. Uh, the name of the tour manager is John. Just hand John what you want to give to me and hopefully it's not ricin or something like that. Uh, welcome to Sweden, Mr. Rubin. Um, okay, I'm sorry I'm not getting to as many questions as I would have liked to here. Okay, so all right, so wait, so it's time for predictions because I only got like two or three minutes left. So look, I said a year ago, I don't think this blue wave is going to happen. Uh, I just see too much too much exposure of these bad ideas to really believe that. Now, and the media can't quite get it, which shows you how archaic they are. So I'm going to make some predictions now. Again, how did I start this thing an hour ago? The prediction business is a bad business. And all of the people that were promoting Blue Wave now are sort of hedging head, uh, hedging bets and everyone's going 50-50. It will all turn out. It'll all be about turnout. And it will all be about who's enthused, who's scared, all of those things. Um, my suspicion is that conservatives are going to do better than most people think. I think enough of you are just sick of this. And I don't even mean this, that you love the Republicans. I just think enough people have been moved, partly because of Brexit, partly because of identity politics, partly because of the cries of racism and misogyny, all that. A huge amount, by the way, I didn't even talk about Kavanaugh at all. I think a lot of people are still really upset about that, seeing the sort of destruction of due process. I think people are really upset about these things. And I think they want to vote out people who hold these ideas. Now, yes, will there be plenty of people that are still voting resistance, that don't care about these issues or just think differently than I do on these issues? Yes. So it's almost impossible to track. However, my suspicion would be that there is good, I'm not gonna call it a red wave. I just, you know, we don't need these, these silly labels on all these things. Um, but I suspect that the Republicans will do better than than most people are saying. Um, and and if I'm wrong, and the Democrats do really well, then I would hope, I would hope that then they would say, okay, we did well. Maybe we can moderate ourselves a little bit. Again, there's no reason to think this. There just there just isn't. So the one way that I think we get out of some of the craziness is the Democrats kind of get crushed. The Republicans are gracious in victory. Trump is gracious in victory. Pretty low chance of that, right? And and he governs, you know, a little more from the center. Although I think you could make a pretty solid argument that he has governed in many ways from the center. And I'm talking, I'm talking about policy, not rhetoric and Twitter. Um, and that from that we could get a little bit of a return to normalcy. But no, I don't expect the blue wave. I mean, look. Nobody knows. So yes, it is possible tomorrow that, that the Democrats will just come out in massive numbers. The lefties will come out in massive numbers. And then what happens? I mean, they've been saying it from day one, from the first day of the Trump presidency, we're going to impeach Trump. That, that would be a scary place to be in two years of that. Um, so I, I hope that that doesn't happen. And, I, and just, you know, one other quick thing, which is um, there's a lot of goodness out there, guys. Don't spend as much time on Twitter if it's driving you crazy. Um, if, if watching all these videos don't give you anything uh, to take for your life that you can make a better life with or feel more informed, then don't watch them. I don't mean just this. I mean any of these things. It's like, you know, people always say to me, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you should do more videos. And usually we do one or two a week. And it's like, man, if you give me an hour or two hours or sometimes three hours a week, 
And then maybe I'm going to assume that you maybe listen to one of Sam's shows. You're maybe listening to a Rogan who puts out a couple episodes or Shapiro's putting out daily. So if you listen to enough, some of that, let's say you dedicate five hours a week to really thinking about what the issues are. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. You, you do it on your commute. You do it at the gym. You do it when you're taking your dog for a work, walk, whatever it is. But you've devoted time to this. But there's other things that are important in life too. As Jordan talks about, it's your adventure, man, and, and figure out the best way to, to live the best life you can. And the reason that I talk about ideas instead of people, the reason I'm not focused on specific policies, although I will gladly tell you what I think about any policy, is because I don't think that is really what matters. I think what matters is figuring out how we can have conversation, how we can plow through the difficult topics, how we can agree to disagree, and what laws and what type of government we should have that would allow the most of us to live exactly that way because I want to live free so that I, so I know there are people who don't like me and don't like my views right but I don't want I don't want them to have power over me and that means that I can't have power over somebody else so somebody else might do something with his life that I don't like but you can't do it on my property and you can't you can't take my stuff anyway I do sense that that some decency, some return to uh, to intellectualism, um, some return to logic. I think it's all possible. There is a chance that we can get some of this in order, um, but it, it's on us. Whether you live in the United States right now and you're voting tomorrow, or whether you live here in Sweden, or whether you live in Australia that we're going to go to in February, or where, wherever else it is. Um, and the fact that these ideas are spreading all over the place. And the fact that so many people are connecting over them, that is seriously cool. And yeah, it's not its not going to be what cable news talks about every moment telling you the new racist of the day or what did Trump tweet or the rest of it. But people are tuning out of that stuff in droves. And you're tuning into things that I think are, are way more important and way more powerful. Um, so on that note, um, reminder, November 13th and 14th, I'm doing stand-up in Brea and in Oxnard. The link's are right down below. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know our audio podcast, as I said, is killing it. Uh, so you can always get that on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher or the rest of that. And it's ad-free uh, if you join us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Ruben Report. Uh, oh, and uh, if you join uh, at level three or higher, you get the automatic. So you get a free uh, VIP meet and greet to any of my stand-up shows. So I've been out, out there meeting all you guys. It's awesome. I mean, I'm meeting all these cool people all the time. People say, is it tiring being on the road? Like, what's it like? I'm like, man, it's it's awesome. I meet great people all the time. People say nice things to me. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, so it really is. Anyway, it's going to be an interesting couple of days in the States. I'm going to unfortunately be sleeping when the results are coming in, but maybe I'll wake up around 4 a.m. or whatever time that is, maybe 5 a.m. And, and kind of figure out what's going on. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to Copenhagen tomorrow back here in Sweden next week, back in uh, in Helsinki, stand up. And then uh, we got a show in Hawaii right before Thanksgiving and all, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, oh, and I just do want to say one other thing. You know, as I've been on the road, I've, been ha I've had to go home for little brief moments to do the show. And I did one crazy thing, which was I went to, uh, to Bob Saget and Kelly Rizzo's wedding, uh, which was last Sunday. So I guess that's a week ago yesterday. Um, and I flew home from, where the hell was I? I flew home from the UK uh, for a day, for literally one day, a 10-hour flight to LA, went to the wedding and then flew to Amsterdam. And I was just like, I got to do it. Like, it doesn't make financial sense, certainly. And I missed a couple of shows and whatever else. But I was like, this is what life's all about. Like, you don't want to miss all the cool things that you can 
be part of. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because um, you know we've had to take uh, advance tape a couple shows. Um, so like the the Kyle Kashuv show that we put up a couple days ago, we had to tape you know like ten days ago. Tucker had been taped a little bit before that. Janice Fiamenko and I was really concerned that the quality of the show and the interviews was going to suffer because normally I would just try to do a show and we get it out in a day or two. Sometimes that day or we live stream it. Um, but I'm really happy to see that the the quality has not suffered. I think some of the last few shows that we've done from Coleman Hughes to Tucker uh, to these last couple with Kyle and Janice and everything else, um, I think they've been some of our best shows. The one thing I really do miss, and I and I appreciate your patience, is I really do miss doing the direct messages. The issue with that, of course, is that the direct messages usually are about something pretty topical, and I need to be home for that. We've thought about doing a couple of them just off my computer like this. So maybe we'll do a little bit more. So I do uh, I do look forward to getting back to that because that's really where I can share what I'm thinking with you guys. Or maybe we'll just do, do some more live streams. I'd love to know your thoughts in the comments right down below. Uh, and on that note, I'm going to go hang out with JP and a couple thousand new uh, Swedish friends. And then I'll maybe I'll, I got I to go to Ikea, right, and have some Swedish meatballs. Um, anyway, thanks, guys. And, uh, and we'll see what happens. And uh, we shall continue. I'll see you soon.